if I can't be comfortable here and with all these friends, I reckon I couldn't be more comfortable anywhere. Uh, I'm so, so thankful to be able to be with you and see you all and be able to worship our God together. Very, very thankful. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I've titled the message this evening, Think on These Things. My text is just one verse, but this verse is chock full of Christ. Now, I know every verse of Scripture is completely full of Christ. This is just one I see. I see how he is every word in this verse. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, there's a whole lot of things that we can think about in this world, isn't there? And I would warn you, just, just be careful. What you spend a lot of time thinking about. Because there's a lot of things don't deserve your time and attention. People, maybe it's always been this way. Boy, it seemed this way today, more than any time I can remember in my life. Boy, people spend a lot of time thinking about the political arena, don't they? I would caution you, don't do that. Now, I'm a red, white, and blue boy. I mean, I want to be a good American. And you spend enough time thinking about things so that you can be a good, informed voter, and then don't give it another thought. That's just my advice to you. And here's why I say that. No matter who is in the seat of power, what party it is, what person it is, God's on the throne. God's the one running this thing. I thought of this example when I was a boy. I had a grandmother who lived in Michigan. I had a grandmother who lived in Florida. We lived in southern Ohio. It seems like we spent a lot of time on the road, driving back and forth to one grandmother's house or the other. And in all that time, this just, just occurred to me, I never one time thought, is there a better way to go than this? I never one time, not one time ever did I think, is this very safe? You know why I didn't think that? Because who was doing the driving? I mean, Dad drove, I mean, every single mile of every single trip. And I never worried about it one bit. I should trust God Almighty a whole lot more than I trust a fallible man should. Why worry about this thing? God's running the show. He's running it. People spend a lot of time thinking about the moral breakdown of our society. And wouldn't say it's not true. I'm telling you, don't spend a lot of time thinking about how you're going to fix it, what you're going to do about it, because we can't legislate morality by the law. Instead of, instead of thinking all that, what, what people should be doing, what people shouldn't be doing, we'd be a whole lot better thinking about Christ our righteousness, wouldn't we? People spend a lot of time thinking, what can they do? What can they not do? Well, how can they exercise? What can they eat? What can they not eat so that they can live longer? Now, this is just me. I would put some time into thinking, you know, how to be healthy, you know, with your body. So you feel better as long as you're here. But don't spend too much time thinking about it because you're not going to add one second to your life other than what God's already appointed it to be. 
This is what our Lord said, Matthew 6, 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? None of us. Then why waste your time thinking about it? I just, I just really try this my own self. Don't think about things unless they're absolutely necessary. Just don't spend any more time than you have to thinking about the junk of this world. And hopefully, that would free us up, free some time up to think on these things that Paul mentions here. And I'm going to tell you just in short what each of these things mean. What Paul's telling us, think on Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Each of these things Paul mentions here that just show us a different facet of our Savior to think on him in these different facets. And the first thing Paul says is think on whatsoever things are true. Now, I know every believer is troubled by false religion, aren't we? I, I, I hate seeing people under the bondage of it. I, I hate seeing uh, people that just cling to these things and it's going to send them to hell for believing it. I hate that. I mean, I hate that. It makes me so, so sad. But I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's false. Know what it is. Know what false religion is so you can stay away from it. But spend your time thinking on things that are true. Spend your time thinking on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the truth of God. We see the truth of God by seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we see God the Father is truly just. Now we read in Scripture, the Father says he's just. He will by no means pardon the guilty. He wasn't whistling Dixie, was he? No, sir. When sin was found on his son, the Father himself plunged the sword of justice into the heart of his fellow, into his son. The Father slaughtered him for it without one hint of mercy, without one. The Father's truly just. I know that when I see Christ. In Christ, this is how I see God is truly merciful and he's truly gracious. This overwhelms me. In order to be gracious to a sinner like me, the father slaughtered his son. Oh, that's grace. Isn't that grace? Oh, in Christ, we see the wisdom of God. God is truly wise. Look back at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. God is so wise. He answered the age-old question. He's the only one that could answer it. How can God be just? How can God still be God, still be his character of holy and just, and still be gracious to sinners? How is that possible? Proverbs 16, verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. The only way sin can be put away is by mercy and truth. God can't pretend like sin's not there. Mercy and truth. And the only place we see mercy and truth meet together is in the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ, his death, made it right for God to be merciful to his people. Think on that all you want. <laughs> in Christ, we see the true love of God. God must truly love sinners. He has to. You think what he made his son suffer. 
He made the Prince of Glory suffer the humiliation of being made flesh, growing up under the rule of his own creatures. He made his son suffer the humiliation of being obedient to his own law. And then to further humiliate him, he made his son sin. He made his son to be guilty of the sin of his people so that he could redeem his people by his sacrifice for them. Now think on those things. The amazement of that will cause your heart to soar. It really will. It'll cause you to worship. Now the pain, the heartache, all the junk of this world, it's still there. It's unchanged. But it's all in perspective when you're thinking on Christ, the truth of God. Think on these true things. Think on Christ, the true bread from heaven. It's eating him. It's believing him that gives our souls life. And it's eating this true bread from heaven that sustains our life. Think on Christ, the true vine. We draw our life. We draw everything that that we are as believers from being joined to Christ, the true vine. Think on this word. This whole book, this word, is the truth of God. That's what our Lord said in his great high priestly prayer, John 17, thy word is truth. Everything in this book is true. But more than that, it is the truth. It's the truth of who God is. It's the truth of who man is. It's the truth of how God saves sinners. Think on that truth. Think on the the truth of the precious promises made to God's people in this book. There's too many of them to name, but let's let me name one. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Think on that truth. Think on that. Think on the glory of our Savior that's revealed in this book. Just don't think about your circumstances as much as is possible. Don't think about your circumstances because pain and anxiety are going to lie to you. They'll lie to you. Don't think about this world, who's doing what to who, and what's going on where, because this world will lie to you. Everything in this world, all the circumstances of this world will lie to us if we don't look at them through the word of God. If you look over at Psalm 119, I think this thrilled me as I looked at it this week. I think it will bless you. Don't think about your circumstances now. Think about the word of God. Do you know that is exactly what our Savior did as he suffered? The Savior didn't think, spend his time thinking about the pain. He wasn't thinking about the suffering. He wasn't thinking about the darkness. He thought on the word of God. He thought on the truth of God and on the precious promises of God. Psalm 119, verse 23. Yeah, here we go. Prince is also did sit and speak against me. But thy servant did meditate in thy statutes, in your word. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The Savior didn't think about the slander he was enduring. That's tough to endure, isn't it? Somebody ever lied about you? That's tough to endure. He wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't thinking about the pain. Even as he suffered, he found his delight in God's word. He found his delight in the promise of the Father 
that when you suffer and die for your people and put their sin away, I'll accept them. That was such a joy to him. It brought him joy when he thought about that precious promise of God, even as he suffered. Now listen, I'm not saying have a positive mental attitude and you won't have any problems. I am not saying that at all. What I am am saying is this. When we can't change our circumstances, we can think what we think about. (laughs) And thinking on these things, thinking on the truth of God, that'll bring peace to your heart and put all these other things in their proper perspective. They're still there. They're just in their proper perspective. They seem a lot smaller (laughs) when we're thinking on the truth of God. All right, number two, think on whatsoever things are honest. And that word honest means venerable. It means something that's honored and revered. Now that can only be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. He's honorable. He's honorable because of who he is. He's the son of God. He is God. He's honorable. He's revered because he's God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's harmless, separate from sinners. Yet he condescends to save sinners. And he condescends to be their friend. This venerable, honored man condescends to be the friend of sinners. You see, in every way, Christ our Savior has earned the respect of his people. Just think how honorable he is. He's so honorable, he cannot lie. If he tells you your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. If he says to you your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west, and even though you look at yourself and all you see about yourself is sin, write this down. If he said your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west, they are. Because he's not going to lie to you. And our Savior is revered. He's the object of our worship. Our goal in worship is to lift up and magnify the name of Christ the Savior as high as we can and to put man down in the dust as low as we can. That's our object in worship. But we never would know how to worship God. We would think God's worshipped in all the form, in all the ceremony, all this stuff that robes and hats and candles and music. We'd think all that stuff, you know, looks, it's a Houdini act, but we'd think, oh, that looks so impressive, you know. We never would know Almighty God is only worshipped in the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, unless the Spirit came and revealed Him to us. That's when we knew, oh, God's worshipped in His Son. God's worshiped when his son is preached. Now you think about that. What a blessed privilege it is to be able to worship God. That he would accept our worship. The only way he can is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's been pleased to put a place in Lexington, Kentucky where the gospel's preached. Where Christ is preached every single time the doors are open. Everybody don't have that. But you do. Think on that for a while. Oh, how blessed God's people are. He gives them a pastor in a place where the gospel is preached. You think on that. 
I'm telling you, it'll make you thankful. Your circumstances aren't changed, but it'll make you thankful. God's enabled you to come into his presence and worship him through the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then third, Paul says, think on whatsoever things are just. And the word means righteous and just. Now again, this can only be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only righteous man to ever live. In Acts 7, verse 52, remember when Stephen was, was preaching to the Jews, his message made him so mad that stoned him for it. But Stephen made this statement in that message he preached. He told those Jews, you have betrayed and murdered the just one. Capital J, capital O, the just, this is a name, the just one. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the just one. Well, the name, the Greek word that's translated just one, is the same word translated just in our text. Same word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the just one. His whole character is just. Now that, that's good doctrine, isn't it? That's a true statement. He is the just one. His character is just. Well, the blessing for God's elect is this. This just one is our Lord, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah said, the Lord Jesus Christ has made his people to be righteous, to be without sin, to be made the righteousness of God in him, to be as just as he is. See, the Lord Jesus made his people righteous the very same way Adam made his race to be unrighteous. It's by representation. God sees the whole human race in one of two representative men. Adam, the first man God created, or the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And we all did what our representative did. When Adam sinned, all of us sinned in him. When Adam sinned, all of us became guilty because you can't say, well, I wasn't there. Yeah, we were. We were there. We were in our father Adam, and we did what he did. We are guilty because we sinned in Adam. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ made his people righteous the very same way, just the opposite. When Christ obeyed the law, all of his people became righteous. They became just because they obeyed the law in Christ, our representative. Look over at uh, Matthew chapter 25. This is a good good example of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 25. In verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. 
Now the word righteous, verse 37, then shall the righteous say. That's the very same word translated just one in Stephen's message and the same word translated just in our text. The Lord is calling his people just and righteous. He can't call somebody what they're not. He's made them righteous. He's made them without sin. Now, how is that possible? Well, it's not by their works, is it? These who are righteous, they weren't trusting in their works. When the Lord said, you did all this, I won't remember that. Because they weren't keeping score. They weren't keeping track of their works to see if their good works outweighed their bad works. They were trusting in Christ, and that's why they're righteous. Because they trusted in Christ. It's through union with Christ. That's how God's people are made, made just and righteous. Now, even though, when you look at yourself, you don't see any righteousness, do you? Don't see any. All, all we see is sin. But even though that's what we see, God says we're righteous in Christ. Now, I'm telling you, you think on that all you want. The longer you think about it, the more you realize I don't really have anything to be upset about. I really don't have anything to worry about. I don't have to fear facing God in judgment because Christ has made me righteous. Then fourthly, Paul says, think on whatsoever things are pure. And the word means pure from fault. Without fault, it means clean. Now again, this can only be talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. You see in the pattern here, right? Each one of these things, what Paul says, think on Christ. Think on him. Think on the purity of our Savior. Everything about him is pure. His character is pure. His, his nature is without sin. His love for his people is pure love. God's wisdom is pure. His word is pure. God's word is what purifies the hearts of God's people in the new birth. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll show you that. It's the word of God that makes God's, the hearts of God's people to be pure. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Seeing you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. What is it to obey the truth? It's to trust Christ. That's the commandment of God's word. Quit trusting your works. Quit trying to obey God's law and trust Christ. That, that's the commandment of this book. You've pur purified your souls in obeying the truth and trusting Christ through the spirit and unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Now again, we look at ourselves. We don't, we don't see any purity, do we? All we see is impurity. All we see about ourselves, if we're being honest, all we see about ourselves is sin. Yet there's a nature that's born in, God's, in, the, in the hearts of God's people. You know, when I look inside myself, I know I have two natures. I know I have two hearts. I know that. Scripture tells me that. I believe it. But I can't see, oh, this is the new, new man. This is the old man. All I see is sin. That's all I see. But that new man is there. And he's pure. 
You know why he's pure? Because of the seed from which he's born. The seed that conceived him. When I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was conceived with a sin nature. Because that's all my father had to pass on to me. I loved my dad like I loved nobody else. No other man. But he's a sinful man. That's all he had to pass on to me. I'm a sinner because the seed that conceived me is a sinful seed. That new man, born of the Holy Spirit, is just and righteous, holy and pure because of the seed that conceived him, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the preaching of God's Word and puts it in the hearts of his people and causes a new man to be born, and he's pure. Now, you think about that all you want. (laughs) It won't change your circumstances. Oh, but it sure will thrill your heart. It sure will. Then fifth, Paul says, think on whatsoever things are lovely. Again, this can only be talking about Christ our Savior. He's the only one who ever pleased his Father. He is so pleasing to his Father that all of God's elect are accepted in the beloved. Sinners like you and me are accepted by Almighty God in Christ. You think on that all you want. If you trust Christ, you have the freedom to any time you want, come boldly, confidently before the throne of grace. Why can you come boldly? Why can you come confidently? Because I'm coming in Christ. I'm coming, not pleading my merit, pleading his. And he'll, I'm accepted in him. That's why you come boldly. I'll tell you, you think on that all you want. It'll thrill your heart, won't it? Oh, it'll thrill your heart. You think on the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think on his character, that he is lovely. He's lovely to everybody that trusts him. You know, the Father was the first one that trusted Christ. He first one to trust Christ to do what he promised to do in God's covenant of grace. He's lovely to his Father. Oh, and he's lovely to his people. Those people who trust him, he's lovely. You remember in Song of Solomon chapter 5, the Lord our bridegroom came to his spouse. It was evening time. And he called to his spouse in, in sweet words, in sweet words. He calls her my beloved. He calls her my love, my dove, my undefiled. The Lord came to her. And now this is us. You know what she said? I can't get up right now. It's late, and I'm already in bed. I'm just too tired to get up now. Why, I've already put off my coat. I've put off my robe, and I'm under the covers. And if I take these covers off now, I'm going to get a chill. I just can't do it right now. I've washed my feet. If I get out of bed now and walk across the floor to the door, my feet will get dirty. I just can't come right now. Now, the Lord would have been justified in kicking the door down, wouldn't he? (laughs) But he didn't. He stuck his hand in the hole of the door and pulled it back and left. And then she smelled the myrrh, the sweetness of his hand. And she bounded out of bed, threw open the door, 
but the bridegroom was gone. She didn't care if it was cold. She didn't care if she had her slippers on her feet. She went out into the street. Her floor may not have been that dirty. The street was. She didn't care. She's looking for her beloved, for her bridegroom. And she can't find him. She sees the other ladies in town there of Jerusalem, the daughters of Jerusalem. She says, have you seen my beloved? And they said, well, no, you know, I haven't seen him. But now Tom, Dick, and Harry, they're over here. Why don't you go talk to them? She said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm looking for my beloved. And they said, well, why? I mean, there's these fellows. They're right here. They're available. What, what is your beloved more than another beloved? And she said, oh, let me tell you. And she began at the tip of his head, went down to the tips of his toes, describing every attribute of his, how beautiful it is, how wonderful it is. And she got done, and she just couldn't think of the words to describe her beloved. And she said, he's altogether lovely. Now you think on this. The Lord of glory, who's altogether lovely, He's so handsome. He's so beautiful. Every woman wants to marry him. I thought about Boaz. That day Boaz came riding out to his field. I mean, Boaz is a specimen now. I mean, boy, you tall, dark, and handsome. I bet he had thick, thick, curly, black hair halfway down his back. He, I mean, he had on the red vest and the white shirt and riding a white stallion his boots are black as night I mean oh my goodness this this man he comes riding up and oh, men and women both swoon all the men want to be him all the women want to marry him there's a little old Ruth here gleaning in the field she didn't even bother looking around he would never want to even look at somebody like me. And he set his affection on Ruth, the Moabitess. That's exactly what our Savior did. This one who's altogether lovely, could have any bride he wanted, chose to save harlots who are ugly. They're all used up. The bloom of youth is gone. Nobody wants her anymore. Except him. <laughs> no one but this one who is altogether lovely chose her to be his bride. Now you think on that all you want. It'll thrill your soul. Then Paul says, think on whatsoever things are of a good report. Now that can only be the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that tells of Christ the Savior. And that report, to the natural man, just sounds too good to be true. It can't be that way. It cannot be that simple. You mean to tell me that the Lord saves sinners who don't deserve it. He saves sinners who can't even contribute anything to help him save them. They can't even pay down the debt any? That can't be. You mean to tell me that the Lord Jesus Christ makes his people perfectly righteous and then he doesn't even make them keep the law in order to keep that righteousness? That there's no law for them to keep whatsoever? That can't be true. It's too good. Well, it would be too good to be true. 
unless our gospel, unless our report that God's given us to preach is all about Christ and none about ourselves. See, if this thing was up to us, nobody would be saved. We'd have a bad report, wouldn't we? But if it all depends on Christ, on who he is, on his doing, on his keeping, on his glory, then all of his elect shall be saved. They shall be. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He'd been preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. Looked around and said, Lord, who hath believed our report? This is a good report. Who's believed it? Well, he answered his own question, didn't he? Everyone to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. And that mighty right arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit ever gives you eyes to see Christ, you'll believe everything about him. You'll believe everything God says about him. Now you think on this gospel of Christ, that the gospel of Christ tells of his glory, of his glory. You think about that all you want. My advice, don't think about the evening news too awful much. It's not good for your mental health. But you think on this gospel all you want. Good for your heart. The end seventh, Paul says, think on things that are of any virtue. And that means moral goodness. Now again, this can only be talking about Christ our Savior. He's full of moral virtue. Everything he does is good. It's good because he does it. It's good because he does it. Things that hurt me and things that bless me. Things that are painful and things that comfort. Everything he does is good when he gives to me and when he takes away from me. It's good. I don't understand it all, but it's good because he's good. Now look back at Mark chapter 5. Now that's not pie-in-the-sky doctrine that doesn't have anything to do really with you and me. This actually, his virtue, has everything to do with our spiritual healing being healed from all of our spiritual wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Look here, Mark 5. This is when that woman with the issue of blood just thought, if I can just crawl up and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Verse 30. That's what she did. She came and touched him, and she was immediately healed of her plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Why was this woman healed of that plague immediately? Because virtue went from him to her. Now you think of that. Everybody who trusts Christ, being joined to him, is healed of all of our spiritual diseases. Brother, sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is a disease. It's a virtue. It's an uncleanness. Like leprosy is an uncleanness. And by union with Christ, his virtue goes from him to his people and we're made whole. (laughs) You think on his virtue all you want. It'll be a help to you. And then last, Paul says, think on things that are worthy of praise. 
Now, I am trying to sound like a broken record. This is talking about Christ our Savior. It's the only one it can be talking about. He's the only one worthy of our praise. And I don't care what's going on in our life. Our Savior is worthy of our praise. Simply because of who he is. I want to praise the Lord. I do. I want to praise him. I want to thank him. And I don't want to only do it because of what he's given me. And what he's done for me. I'm thankful for those. But please understand, I'm thankful for those things. The only thing, reason I have anything is what the Lord gave me. The only, the only reason I, I believe him is the faith that he's given me. That, that's, but I don't only want to praise him for the blessings that he gives me. Because I, I feel like I'll fall into a trap that my thanks and my praise all has to do with me. And it doesn't. I saw a, uh, I want to praise the Lord simply for who he is. I saw a week or two ago a football player, college football player, made some great play towards the end of the game, late, tight game. This play won the game, scored a touchdown, caught a pass, whatever. I can't remember what he did, but I do remember this. They're interviewing him after the game. They're on the field. And the reporter's asking him about it. And this is what he said. Oh, praise God. God is good. Now, I agree. God's good. Would God still be good? Would God still be praised if he dropped that pass and lost the game? And that's a silly example. Let me put this way. I told you about my, my father. I mean, I love my dad. Oh, I loved him. And I got a call one night. He'd had a brain bleed. And uh, the paramedics got there. I told my mother, put the phone down. She was going to hang up. I said, just put it down so I can hear what the paramedics are saying. And based on what they were, were saying, I knew I'd never talk to him again. I knew this is, this is the end. This is the end of his life. I'm so thankful for my dad. I'm so thankful I had him when I was a little boy. Oh, God is good. God's to be praised. Is God still to be praised when he takes him away? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Now, that's, that's difficult for this flesh, but it's true. And this is what I found. If I'd praise the Lord for who he is and think on those things, think on all his attributes that are worthy of praise and not think on my circumstances, I found peace for my heart. I really did. Think on the praise of our Savior. If you do that, you just won't have as much time to think about all these other things that upset you. And everything else going on in our world will just fade back into its proper perspective. So God help us. Think on these things. Think on these things. I, I hope that's been a blessing to you. I appreciate you all having me. appreciate your friendship and your fellowship for all these many years. I thank God for you. I truly do.